0: Amen. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 31 together. This morning, if you're visiting with us, we started a sermon series a couple weeks ago called Dear Church, and this morning we are continuing to walk through this sermon series. The question I've asked over the past couple of weeks is, how do we look less like our culture and more like Jesus. You know, we're living in a day when the message of the church is ever changing. The gospel is being watered down. A day when Jesus, the name, is no more than just that, a name. It seems more people use the name of Jesus in vain than in worship or proclamation. There is a generation of people growing up with no knowledge of who Jesus is, especially no knowledge of what Jesus did for them. I've entitled our message this morning, Thankful for the Cross. How many of you are thankful for the cross? Man, I hope we all are. If you remember from the last couple of weeks, the Corinthian church was a mess. Warren Risby said the church at Corinth was a defiled church, a divided church, a disgraced church. Remember, we are, as believers, the church of God. We have been sanctified and set apart from this world. And as Scripture tells us, we are saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, we read, "...to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place." call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. You know, as I said last week, the person next to you may not always act saintly, but if they're a believer in Jesus Christ, they are a saint. So read with me this morning from our focal passage. Beginning in verse 18, we read, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men." then the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human Being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know, this was a church that had put a great emphasis upon the teaching of man and upon human wisdom and had lost complete sight of the cross. They had lost sight of the cross and the power of the cross and the working of the cross. I hope none of us in this room have lost sight of the cross. It seems like in our churches today, and I'm guilty of this, that, that the only time that we really preach on the cross is at Easter. And that shouldn't be the case at all. We should be constantly preaching about the cross because of what Christ did for us on the cross. There is no salvation without it. Our message point this morning is this, man in his wisdom often rejects God. Our first point is the message of the cross. Again, in verse 18, we read, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I love what James Boyce said about the cross. He said, the cross stands As a focal point of the Christian faith. Without the cross, the Bible is an enigma, and the gospel of salvation is an empty hope. John Piper, in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, many of you have probably read this book, he wrote, Life is wasted if we do not grasp the glory of the cross. Cherish it for the treasure that it is, and cleave to it as the highest price of every pleasure and the deepest comfort in every pain. What was once foolishness to us, a crucified God, must become our wisdom and our power and our only boast in this world. We just read in verse 18 that the cross is folly to some. Many of your translations say foolishness to some. Ray Pritchard shared, over the centuries, many unbelievers have sneered at Christianity for worshiping a man who would die upon a cross. The German philosopher Nietzsche called Christianity a religion for weaklings. He mocked the idea of a God who could be crucified. Some years ago, Josh McDowell debated a well-known Muslim apologist in Africa. At one point, the Muslim tried to ridicule the Christian faith. In fact, he said to Josh McDowell that Christians are riding on the back of a crucified man. And Josh McDowell answered him by saying, You're right, we're riding on the back of a crucified man, and he is going to take us all the way to heaven. To the world, the message of the cross is foolishness. The word folly here comes from the same word as moron to a lost and dying world. It is moronic that you and I would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would believe that God in all of his glory would come and dwell among us and die upon a cross for our sins. Think about our society The cross is woven into the fabric of our secular society today, isn't it? People that aren't believers wear crosses around their necks. They get earrings in the shape of crosses, nose rings in the shape of crosses. Some of you in this room may even have a cross inked on your body. I'm not asking for show and tell today, okay? But some of you may fall into that category, but back in the first century the cross was not the cross was a symbol of death and only the vilest of criminals would have been associated with the cross, and that's because they died upon the cross. You remember what Jesus told his disciples and subsequently told us about the cross? In Luke 9, 23 through 24, Jesus said this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but for whoever would lose his life for my sake would save it. Christ calls us to take up this symbol of torture in order to follow after him. To an unbelieving world, the message of the cross may be strange, but to us, the cross is powerful, isn't it? For those who are being saved, the cross is the power of God for salvation. Folks, there is no gospel message without the cross. Paul wrote in Romans 1 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What is the gospel? The gospel simply is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and his story. And and, and, and that is what the gospel message is. And Paul is saying right here, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. He also wrote in Romans 5, 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Alistair Begg made this statement. He said the cross is the pivotal event of human history. It is the great divide isn't it it is a great divide because everything changed when jesus christ died upon the cross and rose to life again notice our next point here it is the preaching of the cross i love what one writer shared preaching christ crucified is not designed to impress men it is designed to save men our preachers shouldn't be trying to impress us and tickle our ears our our preachers me included should be preaching a message that is going to draw the lost unto salvation and equip the saints for the work of ministry. We see here that that preaching hinders some. Notice what Paul wrote in verses 22 and 23 again. For the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. In Paul's day, Jews were seeking a sign. Specifically, they were looking for a kingly Messiah to come and deliver them from the bondage of Rome. There is coming a day, and we know this, that Jesus Christ is going to return to deliver everyone from tyrannical governments and the bondage that comes with that. But with this first coming, he came to deliver us from ourselves and from our sins. For the Jews, They missed Jesus when he came and dwelt among us. And the sad reality is they are still seeking the Messiah to come today. If you ask some Jews, they would even tell you that they have lost all hope that the Messiah is ever going to come. Notice what Paul said about the Greeks. The Greeks were seeking a philosophical sign. Man, they wanted someone to reason with them about God and about Jesus. But what is it that Paul came to do? He came to preach Christ and Christ crucified. I said this last week. Paul was a very, very intelligent man. One one of the the most intellectual men of his day. But when he came to the Corinthians, he had one desire and one desire only. It wasn't to reason with them. It wasn't to prove that he was smarter than they were. It was to preach Christ and Christ crucified. Preaching hinders some but we also know that preaching saves others. In verses 24 through 25 we read, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let me ask you a question this morning. Why are you a Christian? What is it or was it about the message of the cross That drew you to surrender your life from following the gods of this world to following after the one true God. What was it that drew you to repent of your sins and place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? For me, it was the gospel message that I that I heard on Easter Sunday when I was eleven years old. Some of you in this room can attest to that. It was the gospel message. It was the cross and the covering of the blood of Jesus that it provided for us. I read a story this week um, shared by Adrian Rogers. He shared there was a minister. He was not saved, just as lost as he could be. He'd been educated in one of the liberal theological seminaries. He did not believe in the Bible He did not believe in the blood, but he was, as men go, a very good and kind and considerate man. Man. One day he was in his study and there was a knock at the door. He went to the door and he opened that door and there was a little girl standing there all dressed up in, in tattered clothes and rags. The preacher's ministry was in the inner city. And he said to this little girl, he said, little lady, come on in. What can I do for you today? And she said to him, please, sir, would you come and help get mommy in? He thought her mother was drunk, and he said, perhaps you need to go to a police officer to help your mother get in. And she said, no, I don't need a policeman. Mother sent me to get a preacher. My mother is dying, and she says she doesn't want to go to hell. She wants to go to heaven." And she wanted me to find a preacher to help get her in. And so this kind minister who was unsaved and lost himself, he got his hat, he got his coat, and he followed that little girl through dark alley after dark alley until they came to a run-down apartment complex. And there on a dirty mattress was a woman with her gray hair spread out on the pillow, and her eyes were sunk back in her head, in a life that had been marked by sin, had debilitated her and degraded her body. The preacher looked at her, his heart of love went out to her, and he was moved with pity to help her. She looked at him and she said, "'Please, sir, I know that I am dying and I need help. I've lived a wicked and vile life, and if you're a man of God, I need help from God today.'" Can God do something for me? This preacher started to try to minister to her, and he talked to her about love, and he talked to her about goodness, and he talked to her about forgiveness, and he talked to her about good deeds and kindness and all of those things. And he said, Madam, does any of this make sense to you? She said, Sir, you don't understand. All of that may be well and good for people like you, But not for a person like me. And then, with a pitiful look on her face, she said, Preacher, don't you have a message for a sinful woman like me? He realized for the first time that he didn't have a message for a woman like that. And he remembered the story his mother told him of a Christ who died on a cross and with his blood paid for our sins, and that by repentance and faith our sins could be forgiven. We could be born again and made over anew through the shed blood and the power of the cross. And though he did not believe that story, he began to tell it to her to help her psychologically. As he told her that story, the power of God and the Spirit of God took those words from the mouth of an unbelieving preacher and brought them home to her heart. And she heard the message, true whether he believed it or not, It was still true. And she opened her heart and received Christ as her personal Savior. And her countenance changed, and the Spirit of God came into her heart and bore witness with her that she was a child of God. And with tears streaming down her face, she looked at that preacher and said, Oh, thank you. Thank you for telling me. Thank you for helping me get into heaven. The way we know this story is because on that day, not only did that lady come to know Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior, but that preacher came to know Christ as well. And he went around and shared that story with those that he came in contact with. Folks, you will never know the power of God or the wisdom of God until you understand the cross. The Lord saves by the cross there is no story of redemption without the cross. There is no salvation without the cross. There is no disciple or, or, or even discipleship without the cross. And there is no church without the cross. Because it is because of the work of Christ on the cross and the blood that he shed provides a covering for every believer in this room and every person outside the doors of this church today. The cross provided a covering. Jesus shed blood upon that cross, provided a covering for our sins. Our last point here is this, the calling of the saints. In verses 26 through 29 we read, "'For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful.'" Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. When we look back throughout Scripture, what kind of men and women did God save? What kind of men and women did God use? Did he choose kings? No, he made kings, didn't he? Did he choose the rich? No, many times he made people rich. Did he choose the wisest? No, but he indeed gifted his followers with wisdom. Think about the kind of people God chose to use and chose to change the world with in Scripture. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was a liar. Jacob was a deceiver. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. David was an adulterer. Peter was a denier. Thomas was a doubter. And Paul, who wrote this great book, was a persecutor before he became a follower of Jesus. Story after story like this is found throughout God's Word. Story after story like this is found um, during the church age from the time of Christ's death up until today. God did not choose the most polished. He polished those he chose. The men God chose were outcasts, but those outcasts were used of God to turn the world upside down. If I were to give you a microphone this morning and we were to pass it around this room, many of you would have stories like these men and women of faith that we read about in Scripture. There is no perfect person in this room, and none of us will live a perfect life from the moment, from this moment until the moment we die, because we're clothed in this weak flesh. Now we're trying to tame this flesh every day, aren't we? We're trying to bring it under control. But as long as we are still clothed in flesh, we are we 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 are are weak, is what we are. But through Christ, we know that we can get better and better every day. In these verses, we see how God chose the weak is what this passage says. He chose people like us. Why did he choose people like us? To make salvation not about us, but all about him. Not only did he choose the weak, but he silenced the wise. Why? To make it clear it is only by God's grace that any of us are going to gain access to God the Father in heaven. Notice again verses 30 and 31. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If we're going to boast about anything, let's boast in the Lord for his salvation. Let's boast in the one who revealed himself to us. Let's boast in the one who made us righteous, who justified us at the moment of our salvation and made us as if we had never sinned before. Let us boast in the one who is sanctifying us today, who is, who is, who, who, who is molding, and is shaping us into the men and women that he created us to be. Let us boast in the one who redeemed us and saved us. Let us boast in the cross of Christ, and let us shout from the mountaintop that Jesus Christ indeed is Lord. Folks, there is coming a day when every single person, past, present, and future, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And on that day, all will have to give an account for how they lived their lives. For the unbeliever, Nothing they say apart from the work of Jesus in their lives will satisfy their Father. Not their good works, not their wisdom, not their human accomplishments. The only thing that will satisfy Jesus on the day of judgment will be whether or not we know Him. It will be whether or not the person that stands before the judgment seat of Christ has been covered in the blood of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus spoke these words to his disciples and subsequently to us. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There's going to be a lot of good people that stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. And they're going to speak about all the good things that they did in the name of humanity. But no good will gain us access to the Father only a life radically changed by faith in Jesus. Do you know Jesus this morning? Have you looked to the cross and the work of Jesus upon that cross and believed? Have you repented of your sins and declared with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your life? Have you acknowledged that not only did Jesus die for you, but he rose to life proving that he indeed is the Son of God. If you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you on this day to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. I want to invite you today to repent of your sins. You may say, what is a sin? Well, Scripture is clear that a sin is anything that we do that that, that, that does not bring honor and glory to God. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that for all of sin. In Romans 6.23, the Bible talks about how the consequences for sin is death. But the latter part of Romans 6.23 says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to this earth to die for us. Not only did he die for us, but He shed His blood to provide a covering for our sins. But, but the story doesn't end at the cross because three days after He died upon that cross, He rose to life, being victorious over death, proving to all that He indeed Is the Son of God, and it is only through Jesus that we can gain access to God the Father. If you are here this morning and you never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to this day to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Don't leave this place without knowing for sure that you are saved. I'm going to be standing here at the front. I'd love to share with you more about how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus. I'll be at the end of this service in this back corner room, and I'd love to share with you more, even in there, about how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, and if there's a decision you need to make, I want to invite you to come. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father, just acknowledging, Father, that we are nothing without you. Father, we would be nothing without the cross and the working of the cross in our lives. Father, thank you for coming and dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for providing a covering for our sins with your blood. Father, Scripture says in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Father, without the work that you did for us on the cross, there would be no way that our sins could be forgiven. There would be no way that our sins could and your eyes could be removed as far as the east is from the west, there would be no way that our sins would be buried in the sea of forgetfulness. It's only because of what you did for us, only because of your great love that you demonstrated for us that we can even be in this room today. Father, I pray this morning that there's someone here that has never placed their faith and trust in you that today will be the day of their salvation. Father, I know that in a room like this, there are some, Father, that have come in here with great baggage. They've come in here, Father, with hurting and pain. And and Lord, I pray that even during this time of invitation, if there's someone here that needs prayer, I'd love to pray with them. There may be somebody in this room that they trust and they want to go to and ask for prayer. Father, just move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make, you come. You come.